On the resurrection morning when all the dead in Christ shall rise, I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Raised in power, ready to live in paradise. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. I'll have a new home. Glory, glory. With the redeemed of God, first stand. No more pain, there'll be no more strife. Yes, raising the likeness of my Savior, ready to live in glory. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Youthful and happy I shall be I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life Glorified with Him forever Death will be lost in victory I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life I'll have a new home Glory, glory With the redeemed Never stand no more pain, there'll be no more strife. Yes, raising the likeness of my Savior, ready to live. I'll be glad. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Eternal life. One hallelujah morning when the last trump of God shall sound. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Graves, all bursting saints are shouting heavenly beauty all around. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Oh, yes. I'll have a new home. Glory, glory. With a reading, no doctor stand. No more pain, there'll be no more strife. Yes, raising the likeness in of my likeness. Ready to live, I'll, I'll be glad. I'll have a new body. Praise, Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be. Welcome to the Passion for Christ show. So glad to have you, friend. Hey, I'm your host, Bruce Kessler, and I just want to let you know I'm part of the greatest movement ever, following Jesus Christ, because you see in Him alone I find forgiveness and the fact that I can live again even though I deserve death. He's given me victory, power, strength to live another day and bless beyond measure, folks, more than I could ever deserve. My goal here is very simple. That is to encourage you along the way to help you find your passion in life in Jesus Christ. Upcoming in our study segment, we're going to be talking about the indwelling spirit. That's right, friend, the indwelling spirit. But before we get to that study, we've got a few things along the way. Let's hurry up and get there because we've got a long study ahead of us. And the first is headline news. Oh. Get this, folks, get this. According to a new survey by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, three-quarters of millennials said they are struggling to find direction in life. The survey entitled, Millennials Establish Their Need for Purpose and Lifestyle Changes, 
found that millennials, ages 18 through 36, were the generation most likely to question their place in life. Get that, folks. While 22% of millennials contend that life is sacred, half of the generation, 50%, assert that life is what you make it. There is no absolute value associated with human life. The report also found that millennials were only moderately satisfied in most areas of life, such as their personal health, spiritual life, career, relationships, finances, and the nation. Nearly three in ten millennials reported wanting deeper friendships, and 10% reported wanting a better relationship with their spouse or significant other. Additionally, 13% said they desire. For there to be less discrimination based on someone's race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation. 12% of the same group desire inclusion in communities that know, appreciate, and respect them for who they are. Regarding spiritual matters, 14% of millennials noted wanting to have a better relationship with God. George Barner, the author of the survey, said that millennials have largely brought into worldviews that teach life is about me. And he says that life is not about us. The purpose is not buried within us. Life is about knowing, loving, serving a gracious, mighty, forgiving, and supportive creator. There you go, folks. Can you believe that? 75% of millennials say they lack purpose in life. Surveys shows and finds folks we need to reach out to the millennials and let them know there is purpose and life and meaning in jesus christ amen mm. Mm -mm -mm. well get this a lot of you not going to like this at all streaming church services may be growing in popularity but pastor john MacArthur cautions that they must not replace in-person services because they, by definition, cannot fulfill the New Testament's commands for Christians. He says, Zoom church is not church. It's not church. It's watching TV. <laughs> Streaming service became popular during the COVID-19 pandemic when churches across the U.S. briefly closed their doors, leading members to watch sermons Online, MacArthur said that online services can be beneficial in spreading God's word, but they must not and should not replace in-person gatherings for the Christian. And there's nothing about that that fulfills the biblical definition of coming together, stimulating one another in love and good works, singing, speaking to yourselves in psalms and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord, sitting under the word of God, praying together, being led by those who preach the word and open up the scripture. The definition of the church is crystal clear in the New Testament. We see the picture of it. They came together on the first day of the week. They worshiped the Lord. They prayed. It was fellowship. It was the breaking of bread and the Lord's Supper. So the church is defined clearly. It's the communion of the saints. It's fellowship. It's partnership. New Testament definition of the Greek word kanoia is translated as fellowship requires coming together, MacArthur said. 
Scriptures talk about one another. Scripture edifying each other, praying for one another, build one another up. The church is the communion of people, the believers. Fellowship of people whose lives are blended together in a profound expression of love and unity. This does not happen, happen in any kind of video environment or staying home and watching the streaming services. There you go, folks. There you go. Zoom church is not church. John MacArthur says in critiquing online services. Mm. Huh, there you go, folks. Well, get this. A prominent pro-life group is criticizing a U.S. federal court for its landmark recognition of a group of hippopotamuses as persons. You got it, folks. Even as the group notes, the courts have yet to grant preborn human babies the same legal status. The unique animal rights case involves a group of hippos in Colombia that were illegally brought there by drug lord Pablo Escobar before he was killed in 1993. Although the group of hippos initially numbered just around four, is multiplied between 65 and 80. Hippos can be notoriously dangerous and kill about 500 people in Africa each year. Some in Columbia want to slaughter the hippos, while others have advocated relocating and sterilizing them. A lawsuit in Columbia could decide the issue. Animal Legal Defense Fund, which opposes the slaughtering of the hippos, last month secured a ruling by a U.S. federal magistrate court to have the animals recognized as interested persons. And according to U.S. statute, allows anyone who is an interested person in foreign legislation to request permission from a federal court to take depositions in the U.S. in support of their foreign case. The ruling will allow the deposing of two Ohio-based wildlife experts to have expertise in non-surgical sterilization as they want the hippo sterilized. The plaintiffs in the suit are a community of hippopotamuses living in the Magdalena River. It's the first time a court has recognized animals as legal persons. But of course, live action, prominent U.S.-based pro-life group, criticized the decision, noting that pre-born human babies still have no rights and lag far behind these animals in terms of rights. Sadly, preborn humans are not granted the same legal status as these hippos in U.S. federal court. <laughs> I hate to be laughing at this, but this is just pure madness, folks. Judge recognizes hippos as hippo. <laughs> Judge recognizes hippos as persons. Yet the unborn still have no rights. Mm-mm-mm. That's crazy, folks. What a crazy, mad world we live in. And that's our headline news for this broadcast. Folks, this day in church history.
day in church history in 619, the opening of the Second Council of Seville, the largest ever held in Spain. Among its many decisions was a ruling that baptism only required a single dipping and that hymns by authors such as Ambrose with texts not taken directly from Scripture are allowable in church services. Hmm. 867 A.D., death of Pope Nicholas I the Great, who had been a strong proponent for Roman primacy in the church. In 1644, Massachusetts passes a law against Baptists, calling them troublers of churches and subjecting them to banishment. In 1874, on this day in church history, death of Edward Mote, English cabinet maker and hymn writer, he penned the lines of the hymn, folks, it's a good one, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Amen, folks. And finally, on this day in church history, in 1907, death of Francis Thompson, the English poet who wrote The Hound of Heaven, showing how God in grace pursued him after he had wrecked his life with opium addiction. And that, friends, is this day in church history. Folks, we have a little fun with Name That Bible Character. Here is your clue. I am the city where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. What city am I? Here's your clue one more time. I am the city where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. What city am I? We'll reveal the final answer to this tantalizing clue following our study segment. So stay tuned, folks, for that exciting reveal and a final segment of Name That Bible Character. Now it's time for our study segment. So get your Bibles, get you a cup of coffee, get you a cold drink or whatever you like to have at this moment. Bring up a chair and let's open up God's fantastic and powerful word. We're going to be talking about the indwelling spirit living in us. That's right. The indwelling spirit. Let's begin our study with, uh, in John chapter 4, Jesus, of course, is talking to the woman of Samaria. And she was stunned by the fact that Jesus was talking to her. And then he said in verse 10, he answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I don't know about you, friend, but whatever that fountain that's springing up into everlasting life, that's what I want. What is he referring to there? Well, if we go to John chapter 7, 
starting in verse 37. John chapter 7, starting in verse 37. Read with me, please. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Friend, that's what you and I need to come in contact with. And what is this? Verse 39, this he spoke concerning the what, friend? The Spirit. This he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So all along, Jesus is referring to the very presence and the very gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we all have souls. We all have spirits. And I don't know exactly how my spirit stays within my physical body, but I know it does. I have organs inside of this body. I have a heart <laughs> and I also have a brain. And they're all working in concert with each other. They're all evidence that they are working harmoniously together. I'm walking, I'm breathing, I'm talking, I'm laughing. I know that the spirit within me exists. But James 2 tells us that the body without the spirit is dead. So without the spirit that I can't see and don't really understand how it lives within me, if I don't have that spirit, my body is completely dead. You remember back in Genesis, it says that God formed man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And in Genesis 1, it talks about the fact that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God all were working together to form man in his own image, in the image he created them, male and female. But the Spirit is life. Anytime you have this concept of the Spirit, you also have life. God has put that Spirit in you, friend, and in me, those who believe. That is great, wondrous news. Well, let's turn to John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, let's turn there, friend. Starting in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I'm sure Nicodemus was scratching his head going, what? <laughs> what? what kind of answer is that? That's not the question that I pose in this Far from anything that I was expecting. Jesus says you must be born again. And if you're not born again. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now how did Jesus get to that point. From the question that Nicodemus asked. To talking about being born again. And if you're not. You cannot see the kingdom of God. Well that goes back to John chapter 1. Starting in verse 12. But as many as received him, 
to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So Jesus is amplifying that message here in John chapter 3. So in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, said, Most assuredly, I said, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So everyone who is born of the what, friend? Of the Spirit. So Jesus says, the right to become children of God, you must believe. And how was this going to take shape? And how were people going to be able to enter into God's kingdom? Well, he says, first, you must be baptized. He talks about water. And then you have the presence of the Spirit involved in this process. And we can't physically see the Spirit. It can't be observed by our senses. But we know it functions. We know it it's like the wind, Jesus said, and it blows wherever it goes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell from which it comes and where it goes. It's the same process that's happening when we are born again, friend. God's presence, God's Spirit is involved, and He sends the Spirit whenever you are being baptized in that process. He don't, so don't marvel about this. Don't let this trip you all up just because you don't understand that process. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Of course, we have Peter preaching the first gospel message. And in verse 22, he said, Men and brethren, hear these words. Jesus from Nazareth, man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, and as you yourselves know. So Peter goes on and preaches this fantastic message about Jesus Christ, whom they crucified. And he talks about the resurrected Christ. Therefore, let all... House of Israel, known, verse 36, certainly that God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. In verse 37, it says, And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then he tells them what he needs to be done, what they need to do. And this goes all the way back to John chapter 1. In verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. He says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So we find that they were piercing the heart and they repent, they are baptized, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise in verse 39 is to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. The, we are part of that afar off. We are part of the fact that that involves and includes everybody in the future, as long as God is willing to allow us to live. This is great news. God saving us 
God given us the process by which we can be saved and become His children and enter into the kingdom of God, the church. It's great news that God puts His Spirit in us. Well, let's continue on in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles answered, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on the tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance of Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. And this is critical good news. The gospel news. Repent. Be baptized for the remission of sins for the, to be forgiven. And also to give you right to become his children and enter in his kingdom. Not only that, but also to enjoy the very presence of the Spirit in your life. This is the gospel message. This is critical and important. Now let's turn to our attention to Romans chapter 8. Paul there is contrasting living by the flesh, which is sin and death, and living by the Spirit, which is life and freedom and peace. And then he explains how this can all be as he talks to the Romans and reminding them in the face of their persecution, in the face of the big Roman Empire that was always asserting pressure on them, that they had a power within that enabled them to not only be children of God, but to also put to death sinful behavior and to carry on and to live a life, a righteous life, no matter what the circumstances are. And it begins in verse 9 by telling them this, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. It's very simple. If you don't have the Spirit of God, if you don't have Christ in you, if you don't have the Spirit in you, you are not His. You're not His child, and you certainly can't live a life of righteousness. Verse 10, he says, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. It's because of nothing that you've done, but because of your faith, your belief, your acceptance of Jesus as your Lord, and that Spirit, through your faith, through the sacrifice of Jesus, is in you and dwelling in you. That's because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then finally, he sums it all by saying in verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That's the power He wanted to remind them that they had. Amen? And finally in Ephesians chapter 1. 
Turn with me there, friend. Ephesians chapter 1, as we draw to a close to this very important topic, the indwelling spirit living in us. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. Just imagine as, Peter, as Paul is about to preach this wonderful truth that here you were living in a city where people had gathered get together at the stadium crying out, Great is Diana! Great is Diana! Great is Diana! The Roman gods! The church were facing pressure all around. And so Paul had to remind them of what was inside them that gave and empowered them. And so he says in verse 13, In him you also trusted in Jesus Christ, he's talking about, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. What was that promise? The promise was back in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a promise to you and those who are far off. It's a promise. It's a seal. The Holy Spirit that's in you, friend, and in me. It's a seal. Just think in terms, I was thinking in terms of the seal on the caps of medicine that we get. Why is there a seal? Well, it's for security. And this is essence what God is saying about the very presence and gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. That God is saying that you are mine. That I'm giving you security. This is assurance. That nothing in this world can rob you of this truth. And then finally, it's a guarantee. What is a guarantee? A guarantee is a down payment by God himself through the power of his spirit that's placed in you. It is his investment, not yours. Certainly not mine. But it's not only an investment for today as you continue to live this life in this cruel and chaotic world, in this fallen world, but it's also an investment for the future. It's an investment for the redemption of our body for that great resurrection day. It's a seal. It's a guarantee. Why? To the praise of his glory. To the praise of the work of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And glory. Hallelujah. What beautiful truths that can be revealed in God's word about the indwelling spirit living in us. If you are a believer. I pray friend that this study has been helpful. I pray that it's guided you to understand some additional truths about this very important topic what a what a powerful study this has been in talking about the holy spirit the indwelling spirit living in us friend god has given us so much and he has given us not only his word not only his presence but his spirit as well amen folks yeah, amen, folks. What a what a powerful reminder of the great things that God has given us, not only His Son, not only through prayer, not only through fellowship of the saints, but also the very presence of the Spirit of God 
enabling us to continue to walk in this life and have a future hope of resurrection of our own bodies to live eternally with Jesus Christ. Amen, folks. Powerful, powerful indeed. And now, folks, we have the conclusion to name that Bible character. Here was your clue. I am the city where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. What city am I? Bethany. That's right, folks. John 11, 17 through 18. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. I am the city where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. What city am I? Bethany. And name that Bible character. Oh, folks, you too can become a follower. The greatest movement ever, a follower of Jesus Christ, by giving your life over to Jesus Christ through repentance and baptism. And he promises a wonderful gift, a gift of the Holy Spirit. And you will be blessed beyond measure, more than you could ever deserve. My goal here was very simple. That was to encourage you along the way and help you find your passion in life in Jesus Christ. Visit our website, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com. Well, friend, I just want to tell you what a privilege and honor it's been for me to have you walking along my side. May God bless you. Praise God. Praise God. Give thanks to the Father in all, in all that you say and do. Well, amen. Amen. Sing glory. Hallelujah. Christ the Lord has died for you. Praise God, give thanks to the Father in all, in all that you say and do. Well, amen, amen, sing glory, hallelujah, Christ the Lord has risen for you. Praise God, praise God, give thanks to the Father in all, in all that you say and do. Well, amen, amen, sing glory, hallelujah, Christ the Lord is living for you. Praise God, give thanks to the Father in all, in all that you say and do. Well, amen, amen, sing glory, hallelujah, Christ the Lord is coming for you. Christ the Lord is coming for you. Christ the Lord is coming for you.